Hey, what's up, guys? Welcome back to Unquestionable. I'm your host, Calvin. I have an awesome show set up for you guys tonight, but before I get into anything, I have a couple of announcements to make. Nothing major, just a little bit of an update on everything, and this will probably happen every episode. We're going to see what happens. Still feeling it out. But first things first, is last Wednesday, March 24th, 2021, I was on AZ's Whiskey Wednesday podcast. I'm going to link all of their stuff in the description of this podcast, and I'll also share it on Instagram too. I will put it in the uh, description part of uh, my Instagram post that I'm going to do over there. And I mean, we talked about everything from aliens to samurais to Abe Lincoln and, you know, Elon, where's Brennan's truck? You know, that's why I'm saying you got to watch the podcast to know what that's up to, what that's all about. So go check them out. I'm going to link all their stuff. It's, it was a great time. And of course we drank some whiskey. What are you talking about? It's called Whiskey Wednesday. The next thing is that I have a donation link set up now. So if you check out the description of this podcast on Spotify or on Anchor.fm, which is my host for the podcast, there's a donate or donation link there, and you can donate any amount of money that you would like there. You can donate ten cents, you can donate ten dollars, you can donate ten thousand dollars. I definitely won't turn it down if you give me ten thousand dollars. I will tell you what. But to be honest, if you don't want to donate, that's all right. You know, you guys just being here listening to this podcast. I mean, you're supporting me right now. So thank you guys so much for tuning in. I mean, it seriously means a lot to me, and I've been getting a lot of love for this podcast. So it's, uh, it's, I'm hoping to do it for a long time. So uh, the next thing would be that social media, my personal social media, I have, you know, once again, like I mentioned, I have it all set up. Um, Facebook is coming. I'm going to set up a Facebook page, but for now I have Instagram, and you can check me at, out at unquestionable podcast i dropped the the at the beginning so it's just at unquestionable podcast and give me a follow over there you'll see all my music and stuff over there as well but with that let's get into our guest a little bit here tonight i have sitting with us brian forrester uh now if you're not familiar with brian forrester you need to stay and you you need to hear what he has to say and because he's He's going to blow your guys' mind, I think, and uh, he might even blow mine. But I've been following Brian for a really long time, and Brian is a world-renowned author and ancient civilization researcher. And uh, he talks about everything from elongated skulls to, you know, traveling to Gobekli Tepe and, uh, you know, everything in between. You know, he's been all around the world, and I'm going to link all of his stuff in the description of this podcast as well, but... I won't get too much into him here. What we're going to do is we're going to jump over to Brian Forrester. We're going to have a discussion here, and we're going to see um, we're going to see what he has to say about some elongated skulls and maybe some other ancient civilizations. All right, awesome. So I'm here with Brian Forrester. Thank you so much for joining me, sir. Uh, so, in case anyone is unfamiliar with your work. Um, would you mind taking a couple minutes just to kind of explain a little bit about yourself, what you do? Um, I know I've been watching you for years. Like I said, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of you. So please, uh, if it would, would just take a couple minutes, tell the audience a little bit about yourself. Sure. Well, I was born in the U S uh, uh, I grew up in Canada, but I'm a dual citizen. So I've lived in both countries on and off. Um, mm-hmm. I've been traveling since I was about 16. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, the first 
second site that I saw was uh, Stonehenge in England. And at that oh. time, uh, awesome. there was no fence around Stonehenge. So you were able to go right up to the stones and touch them and things. So that's, that's cool. I guess that pretty well started my interest in uh, ancient enigmatic locations. Yeah. I've been uh, uh, a fan of ancient Egypt since I was a child. Uh -huh. So um, I've been very fortunate in having uh, been able to travel to about 100 countries so far throughout my life. Wow, that's awesome. Uh, of course, my, my focus for the past 15 years has been megalithic sites around the world. Wow, that's and, awesome. And the enigmatic elongated skulls. Right, right. It's incredible. Awesome. Uh, well, yeah. So, I mean, I guess kind of going on, on the elongated skulls a little bit, I actually picked up your book, um, Beyond the Black Sea. I picked it up a couple days okay. ago, and, and uh, I've been reading it a little bit. And man, there's there's some really interesting stuff that you have written in here. You know, I'm only I think I'm about thirty pages into it, and man, you just keep hitting me with knowledge bombs in this thing. Um, really crazy. And you know, I've I've been really interested in the elongated skulls for the past couple weeks. I've been you know looking into it, and you know, I've been watching a lot of your videos talking about it. Um, so, what do you think is the significance of the elongated skulls. Why do you think that, because uh, if I'm not mistaken, are elongated skulls found on every continent or, or am I mistaken on that? Well, examples of cranial deformation or head binding have been found on every continent except Antarctica, as far mm -hmm. as we know. Okay. So, uh, it was most prevalent about 2000 years ago and was the domain of the nobility of each of the cultures in which we find that phenomenon right okay great yeah um so so were they like on different do they have different purposes on different like for doing the along uh the skull binding do you think is it for like religious purposes or is it for um uh like for is it like a cultural thing that they do um or is it kind of kind of differ depending on where you're at well, in general, it was the, the nobility, like the chiefly class and the spiritual okay. or religious class, uh, um, so the higher levels of the society. Okay. And um, and yeah, one would think that there would have to be some kind of influence yeah. uh, from you know beings that look like that in order to, to do such a, a thing to your children because it was done to the newborns. Right. And the, the process would take usually between two and three years before it was complete. Okay. Wow. That's, I mean, I can imagine that's probably pretty painful. I mean, um, and is, is there any evidence of like um, changing of the shape of the brain by chance? Like, uh, cause I know, you know, it doesn't seem to really, you know, the shape of the brain doesn't seem like it would fit really well in that kind of a deformation. So do you think, is there any evidence of like any brain contortion along with that well it would seem so but again the majority of the cultures that did this they were simply changing the shape of the skull they weren't increasing the size mm -hmm. of it or anything yeah like that. yeah so um yeah so the the shape of the brain would uh would change to some degree but of course the most phenomenal ones that we find are here on the coast of peru where they seem to have been genetically in yeah. elongated skulls. Yeah, that's that something was... that academia refuses to look at. Yeah, that was going to be my next question, is that, um, you know, how can, I, I know that, you know, like you said, some skulls, like in, in Paracas, it seems like they're a little bit more of a natural 
um, elongation. So how, um, is there a way that like you're able to tell um, uh, like the difference? Like how can you tell the difference whether it looks natural or if it um, looks binded? Well, the oldest of the elongated skulls on the coast of Peru, um, dating from about 2,700 years ago, the volume is 25 to 30% larger than normal, and wow. in some cases, even larger. I've seen an example of a newborn baby that looked like it was about twice the size of a normal wow. human That's skull, like, like extremely elongated. And yeah. uh, there are other characteristics, too, like the form and magnitude which is where your spinal column enters the bottom of your skull this is far back as it could possibly be so okay. that would have to be a genetic thing uh there are two holes in the back of the skull which um which only appear in the elongated skulls the eye sockets are bigger and uh, uh there's okay. no sagittal suture that comes down this way at yeah all. like it's, right it's miss it's just it's simply not there okay okay so do you think that it's at all possible? Like, do, are you in on the um, the possibility of it being extraterrestrial or being influenced by extraterrestrials, or is that kind of out of your um, your zone? No, I think it is a possibility because they suddenly appear mm-hmm. less than three thousand years ago, then they disappeared two thousand years ago. That's not enough time for something genetic to have happened. That, okay. you know, that would take tens if not hundreds of thousands of years. So you do have to entertain the possibility that, uh, you know, they, they could have been the result of, uh, you know, extraterrestrial intervention or that they were descended from that. Or, uh, you know, what we do know is that they were, they were not Homo sapiens sapiens. They were a subspecies of, of uh, Homo sapiens. Yeah, okay. Which, again, academics don't want to... Uh, look at right right yeah it seems like um you know it seems like every time someone tries to challenge the narrative um because like i've been watching you and i've been watching um jimmy from bright insight a lot and um uh, i've been following uh uncharted x you know all these different channels and it seems like um the common narrative it, it doesn't like to be challenged you know um, so what is something you think that like a normal person, like, like, you know, little me, you know, over in, in Michigan, what do you think that I could do to possibly, um, if anything, to help, um, get that research out there and, and done? Is there anything that I could do, you think? Well, the best thing to do is to visit the locations mm-hmm. like Jimmy and Ben, we're in Egypt in December. Yep. Uh, you know, Jimmy's made a lot of videos about Egypt, but he'd never been there, so he was, you know, his eyes were yeah. on, on uh, stocks when he actually got to physically visit this stuff. Right. He was, you know, he was completely, completely blown away. That's the, you know, you can see lots in pictures and videos, but being on location is where, uh, you know, it really hits home that obviously there's a big difference between what the dynastic people could do and what they inherited. Yeah. Yeah. That's incredible. That's one of my, one of my life goals is to go to Egypt. I've never, you know, I've only been on a plane one time and it was to fly to Arizona and it was literally like a year ago. So I'm hoping, you know, to get over to Egypt. That's my life goal is to see, you know, the pyramids in in person and, you know, actually look at it for myself because these videos just don't do it justice. You know what I see online? It's just, it's beautiful. And I can only imagine 
you know, what, you know, you and Jimmy see, you know, when, when you guys are standing in front of the pyramids and that's just, that's incredible. I'm so jealous, but, <laughs> um, another thing that's kind of caught my eye too is, um, it's this little, I'm not sure how you say it. It's the Suchuti fetus. It's like the little fetus, um, that has an elongation of a skull. I just kind of learned about it a couple days ago. Um, and it kind of reminds me of, I, I'm not sure you're kind of, you followed the um the finding of the atacama humanoid um that kind of like yeah um and i'm not sure i haven't done a whole lot of research on that so i'm not sure if it's come out as a hoax or anything like that but it kind of reminds me and and looks somewhat similar to that um do you have any thoughts on on the fetus like what maybe the age of it was well the interest yeah the interesting thing was that was um Unfortunately, that was before photography. It was mm-hmm. in the 19th century that Tashuni was able to uh, see this little mummified um, fetus, right? Supposedly between seven and nine months old, uh, that was, you know, that was found inside of, of, a, of a female. Okay. It had a complete set of teeth, which is very wow. odd. So it was actually found yeah. inside the female. Yeah. Wow, I didn't know that. That's incredible. And uh, yeah, full set of teeth. Again, the foreman magnum is way at, way at the back. And wow. uh, I don't know where it is now, unfortunately. I've asked a number of uh, archaeologists in Peru, where is it? They have no idea. But, um, you know, that's, the, that's one of a few examples uh, of, of where you see a fetus, which has an enormously elongated skull. Yeah. And that blows the whole theory about cranial death. Right, right. That makes you look at it. And I mean, that's obviously genetic of some sort. I mean, it's um, were the um, did you say anything about the eye sockets Were the eye sockets like larger, like are what are commonly found in some of the elongation elongated skulls, too? Yeah. Wow. Wow. That's that's crazy. I mean, I, I don't know, you know, what has so if if you're researching that and uh, what has you know, the common consensus had to say about that. I mean, has there been any feedback on that? I mean, is anyone taking it to heart or is, does everyone just think it's some sort of weird hoax? Well, it depends who you talk to. The academics, you know, all the academics I know of, they say 100% of the elongated skulls uh, was the result of, of head binding. Yeah. But I've already described a few examples which couldn't be, especially right. ones that are found in as a fetus. So they simply ignore my research and to some degree, uh, recently they've been trying to, um, to some degree, cover up the DNA testing results that we yeah. found because it doesn't fit with their narrative. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, there has been DNA testing on this, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we've done 20 skulls so far. Wow. And what were the results of that? Um, like, what what exactly were you testing for in the DNA? Um, I do I do remember something about coloration of hair being um, a little different, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, that's true. All the all the royalty of the or the nobility of the Fracas had dark red hair. Dark red um, hair. Okay. So that's another genetic characteristic, which is not Native American. And uh, of the twenty skulls, only two of them showed direct ancestry to Native Americans. The other 18 either showed unknown or uh, results that were more akin to 
elongated skulls found around the Black Sea area. Right, right. Wow, that's that's incredible, man. I don't. It's. I really think that. Um, I would hope because I've been seeing a lot more people get behind this idea of kind of um, rewriting history and challenging the modern narrative and, you know, everything from the Sphinx to, you know, the pyramids and, you know, everything in between. And I, you know, I'm behind it fully. I, I really think that within the next maybe hopefully 10 years, I would say, you know, maybe we can get a little bit of a change and write some different stuff in the history books, but um, something else also, I'm just going to keep questioning on, on things that are really interesting to me and just kind of get your thoughts on them. Um, so the schist disc, I've watched a ton of videos on it. I've watched probably every single thing you've ever said about the schist disc, but I still don't understand what its function was. So can you kind of elaborate on the schist disc and maybe what your theories are about it sure well the disc is about it's like it's about two and a half feet across some people think it's it's smaller than that yeah it looks pretty small and yeah it's on display in the cairo museum which is amazing because it doesn't fit in with you know all the other artifacts you find there Uh, um the the egyptologists say that it was a uh a fancy plate for for lotuses like lotus flowers, mm-hmm. which is kind of kind of a dumb description. It's yeah. got three lobes that, that come up vertically. Uh, right. When it was found at Sankara, it was found broken, so they did a really bad repair job. So that's why when people look at it now, they go, well, it's not, you know, it's not uh, even. It's like originally it would have been technically perfect. There's mm-hmm. no way it could have been done by hand. Um, and also the material it's made of is, I think it's called a siltstone. It's not actually schist. So it's a, a type of clay that's been very fine grain clay that's been metamorphosed. So it, um, it would have been incredibly uh, dense in, in terms of its composition and probably highly resonant. That's what our geologist says. So, okay. Um, it has a central spoke that looks like it was you know fit on top of something and, and would rotate, maybe at high speed. Okay. Um, and that's basically what we know about it right now. I just, the amazing thing is that it's, that it's on display because stuff like that, in general, they're probably hiding a lot of artifacts that looks, you know, something like that in the basement of the museum. Yeah. That uh, hopefully when the, the big museum opens up on the Giza Plateau this year, they'll, they'll unearth a bunch of stuff that doesn't fit the narrative and will be put on display. Wow. Man, I'm, I'm really excited to see that. So, um, so this schist disc, I, I, I believe I saw um, something about you. Um, I believe it was you. It could have been someone else. Um, tested spinning the disc, and there was some sort of um, weird resonance that that happens with sound when it's spinning. Um, do you know anything about the testing that was done with that? Well, yeah, it's been 3D printed a bunch of times. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, you know, 3D printing gives you something made out of resin or plastic. And right. So it's not going to have the same characteristic. But supposedly, uh, they have, you know, they've made these and they've rotated them at high speed. And it seems to get a specific resonance of some kind. So the idea that it was involved in, uh, you know, maybe levitation or something is, is a possibility. 
it's a very much an out of place artifact. Yeah. So where was um I might have missed it. Where was the schist disc found? It was found under the step pyramid at uh, Saqqara. Oh, okay. Along with thirty, along with thirty thousand to forty thousand stone bowls and plates made of very dense material like granite. Yeah, and, uh, I've seen those. They've got like fifty of them on display, and they're listed as being archaic. Yeah, which means pre, which means pre-dynastic. Right. Yeah, but so I mean, you look at them. Mislabeling. Yeah, I mean, you look at them, and I mean, these these granite, um, the granite pottery is just it's impeccable. I mean, compared to, you know, the, the newer stuff that is sitting right next to it, it's just, how do you think that they could have done that? I mean, I don't, I don't think we even really have much technology today to be able to do something like that. Do we? Well, no, to be truthful, the the amazing thing is that a number of these objects have protrusions on, on either end. Yeah. So the logical idea would be that these would be made on a lathe. But the problem with that is you would knock those two points off every time it's spun around. Mm-hmm. So, and the drill holes that go through them are perfect. So it's, it's uh, obviously they're done with a very advanced technology beyond what we have now. And yeah. um, again, listed as being pre-dynastic, mm-hmm. which means that they, they were made before the time of the potter's wheel. Uh, so uh, that that's one you know one thing that uh, Mark Lehner, who's an Egyptologist, said to people like Robert Schock um, when Robert Schock claimed that you know there had to be have been an ancient advanced civilization is Mark Lehner said, "Well, show me a piece of pottery from this civilization." There you go. Thirty thousand to forty thousand of these stone objects. Yeah. Wow. Yes. <laughs> I mean. You know, what do you say when you say, show me the pottery and, you know, he shows you the pottery and then you say, I don't believe it. You know, it's, it's, you know, what else do you want me to do? I, <laughs> I showed you the evidence, but that's just crazy. Cause yeah. those, those pots are just, um, it's, it's incredible. And I mean, kind of going off the, um, the precision of like the holes in them, um, like the H blocks, um, you know, the giant H blocks at, uh, I think it's, um, Teotihuacan, am I not, am I right on that? Uh, Puma Punku. that's where it is. Um, yeah, the drill holes and the exact cuts on these, I mean, the, what kind of technology did they even have back then to be able, do you think it's even remotely possible that, you know, they were able to do this with chisels and rocks? No, no, it's, it's impossible. Even engineers who I've taken to that location, they look at them and they say, um, I have no idea how we could replicate these today. There are no, no tool marks, no sanding marks. Yeah. Um, and, you know, supposedly the Tiwanaku culture, a thousand to two thousand years ago, who were maybe Bronze Age level, were responsible for them. It's, you know, again, these, they make these statements which are completely preposterous mm-hmm. so it's obvious that the Tiwanaku people found this location and simply adopted it for their own purpose okay yeah so I mean who do you think could have you know been there before could it have been maybe has there been like elongated skulls found near Pumapunku yeah yeah so hmm, I wonder if it's possible that 
you know, maybe the, you know, that culture that had the elongation of the skulls maybe had something to do with this ancient technology. Do you, um, has, does the dating with Puma Punku match up with any dating of the skulls? Like, does it fall around any of the same time periods? Well, unfortunately, none of the skulls have been carbon-14 tested. So oh, wow. we don't know okay. how old they are. Wow. But it's, it's most likely they were from the Tiwanaku civilization. But um, the construction itself of Tiwanaku and Pumapunku is, is thousands of years older, utilizing very advanced high technology that we can't replicate today. And again, that's, that's why academics simply ignore, the, ignore these really simple truths, because... Yeah. They're trying to pr- protect a, a dying paradigm. Right, right. I mean, because it's the the precision that's, you know, in these buildings is not even just there. It's like you look at um, like the ob- the giant obelisk that's in Egypt is also something I've been looking at. You know how they have, um, I believe they have like a, a test rock where like tourists can come up and kind of practice with the pounding of this rock on this stone to test how like this giant obelisk was made, but it just looks absurd. I mean, I've seen documentaries on it and it just, do you think that that's really how this giant obelisk in Egypt was made? No, that's why uh, Jimmy recently came up with a video about it. Yeah. Ben has done it and I've done it many times. And we do that just to show the futility of it because yeah. your hand, after about five minutes, your hand is exhausted by this yeah, process. definitely. And uh, the, stone, the stone itself is slightly harder than granite. Like, it's a, slightly harder than granite. So the stone would fall apart, you know, almost as fast as you're trying to pound a way to remove material. So again, it's, it's just preposterous. All it takes is a very simple test like that to show that it doesn't work. Yeah. And I mean, the position that these people would have to be in, too. I mean, you look in the, the crevice that these people are standing in, they're basically, you know, flat up against this wall and they're expected to, you know, get down on their hands and knees and get under this thing. And I, I mean, it's it's almost hilarious to watch videos of, you know, people trying to seriously justify this and, and how it works. And um, but I, I mean, these giant scoop marks that are under it. We don't even have any yeah. type of machinery today that could, you know, maneuver like that. So it's just incredible to me that um, that it's literally right there in front of our faces. And it's just, um, you know, my academics just aren't accepting it. And that's it's really unfortunate. So hopefully there's there's some sort of change before too long to where we can, you know, maybe get a little bit more light on that. But wow. And. I guess the last I'll, I'll, I won't bug you for too long, but the last thing that I got is um, so I've been looking at uh, Petra. Okay, so Petra is it's one of the most beautiful places I've ever seen, right next to Egypt that I've seen, you know, through videos and stuff. And the first time I ever saw it was actually the video of of you, you know, walking through it and touring it. And when you went around that corner and there was this big amazing treasury there i mean i was just dumbstruck by how gorgeous it was um Mm -hmm. what is how do you think they that was built was that built you know i believe the common consensus is that the greeks kind of um had a little bit to do with the construction of it um so how do you think that 
that came about? Well, it's actually an older culture than the Greeks called the Nabataeans who occupied the area. But Petra is seven miles long. It's like it's huge. Mm -hmm. And um, all of the western surfaces look like they've been scorched by very intense heat. Which, which is what we find at other megalithic sites as well. This, this force came from the east and uh, struck the surfaces. The, the treasury is about 2% of what Petra is. Yeah. Um, and there are chambers, I think about seven chambers at Petra, each of, each of which is about 300,000 cubic feet in size. So wow. there's no way that was done with a bunch of hand tools. Um, and the, Nav- the Nabataeans were nomadic Arabic people who, you know, moved into the area around 300 BC. They, they developed it, uh, um, a civilization there, but I'm sure they found Petra uh, and they decided to occupy it. So yeah. who, who the original builders were, uh, Petra is very similar to a couple of sites in Saudi Arabia, which are have recently been open to tourism, which show the exact same tool marks and characteristics. So I think it's a super ancient civilization in the Middle East who uh, were responsible for that. Okay. Yeah. So, so you mentioned burn marks. So um, do you think that maybe there was some sort of cataclysmic event that happened that might've, you know, basically restart, uh, you know, human civilization, basically, do you think that there could have been maybe a, a comet or maybe a solar flare that maybe kind of hit the restart button? Yeah, I think it was a combination of a bunch of different things that happened between about 13,000 and 12,000 years ago. There's a lot of evidence, yes. um, of, you know, increasing evidence as time goes on, but that was a very critical time period. If you look at the work of Randall Carlson, and of yep. course, Robert Schock, yep. and uh, Graham Hancock and others, uh, you know, increasing evidence that, that these events happened over the course of about a thousand years. And if it was intense heat, it would have um, vaporized any life forms in the area and right. would have made them uninhabitable for probably thousands of years. Wow. So that's what we see, seem to be seeing. Yeah. Yeah. Because I mean, I, I bring it up because I, I have read all of um, uh, Graham Hancock's books, I have them all sitting around the corner here. And, um, I mean, he's the guy, he's got a lot to say. And I mean, it's pretty incredible. You know, I've watched him on Joe Rogan and stuff like that. And, uh, him with Randall Carlson. And really I was, I was a little skeptical about it at first when I first read his, you know, first book. Um, I was a little, little skeptical about it, but then I watched him on Joe Rogan with, uh, Randall Carlson and, uh, he, he totally changed my mind because of the amount of strong evidence that he has supporting a cataclysmic event. I mean, it's, it's, it's almost a little frightening because, you know, it just shows that, you know, this, this can happen at any time and that um, we're just not prepared for it. We're not open, you know, cause that could definitely rewrite all the history books. So I really hope that, you know, something can change here and that maybe academics can start opening their minds a little bit. And, you know, definitely John, like John Anthony West, uh, you know, rest his soul. He was, you know, definitely a proponent in it too. And uh, so I, I really, but I guess I'm really, I'm really excited to have you on here. And, uh, but I, I honestly, I think I'm 
literally out of questions. I've pretty much asked you everything that I have had on my mind. And uh, you, you gave me some pretty strong answers. And uh, But I won't hold you up for too much longer. But I appreciate you, Brian. I, I'm a huge fan. And I'll make sure to plug all of your information for like Hidden Inca Tours. I'll link your YouTube channel. I'll link everything in the description of this podcast. And, um, you know, once again, I really appreciate you coming on, Brian. Is there anything else? Uh, do you have any projects that you're working on right now that you want to let the people know that uh, to keep an eye out for? Sure. Well, we have a we have a major tour of Peru and Bolivia in June, and then another one in August, and then September we're going to Malta for the first time. Uh, in October, Jimmy is going to be joining me in Egypt for about two weeks awesome. for a major tour. Then uh, November we have another major tour of uh, Peru and Bolivia. Awesome. I look forward to it. I will definitely. You know, keep an eye on it. I'm subscribed to all you guys on YouTube and I follow all you guys on Instagram and everything. So I'll, I will keep an eye out and I'll make sure, uh, you know, maybe I can have you on again sometime. We can talk about, uh, you know, something else, you know, that, that you've been working on and, you know, maybe talk about the tours that you're going to be doing. But but I won't hold you up, Brian. I appreciate sure. you coming on, my man. And I uh, hope to have you on again. Okay. Thank you, Calvin. Absolutely. Keep in touch, Brian. All right, guys. Well, that was it. That was Brian Forrester. I really appreciate you guys tuning in today. I had such an awesome time with Brian. He's such a nice guy and he's so knowledgeable and had a really great time. And I really hope to get him on again someday. But for now, I'm going to link all of Brian's stuff in the description of this podcast. And I'll also make sure to link all of AZ Whiskey Wednesday's stuff so that you can check them out too. Check them out on Facebook. You can check Brian out on YouTube, and I'll make sure to link his YouTube in there as well. But for now, thank you guys. I really appreciate you guys listening. I had an awesome time. And remember, question everything.